This is the third week in our series through Judges, our sermon series entitled No King in Israel. This week we finally meet our first three judges, men by the name of Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. I just this morning want to tell their stories, and as we do that, as we see how they are presented to us, I want us to consider what in the world they have to teach us about the good news of Jesus and the life of faith. I think we'll see that in subtle ways, these first three judges anticipate an even greater judge in Israel's future. An unexpected deliverer from a nowhere town who would rise from the tribe of Judah to save completely all who come to him in their sin and suffering. Frankly, we have no time to waste this morning. Let's jump right in and meet our first three judges. We'll call them Othniel, the model judge, Ehud, the sneaky judge, and Shamgar, the guy with the cow prod. Othniel, the model judge, Ehud, the sneaky judge, and Shamgar, the guy with a cow prod. Let's pick up the narrative in verse 7. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had 40 years of rest. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Remember the cycle we introduced last week. Sin, judgment, cry for help, deliverance. Sin, judgment, cry for help, deliverance. Rinse, lather, repeat. Here it is in action for the first time in the book. The people of Israel forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asheroth. They are disciplined by God by being placed under Mesopotamian rule for eight years. When they cry out to the Lord for help, however, God raises up a deliverer and brings salvation. That first deliverer was Othniel, the first judge. And you'll notice Othniel is presented pretty positively. He is the best judge. He is an exemplar of sorts. We actually met him earlier in the book, but we probably just waltzed right by it. We meet him in the first chapter in verse 12, and Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath-Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. Now, we don't have a ton of details about this first judge. The details we do get are certainly relevant. Let's consider just a few. First, he's from the tribe of Judah, the only judge to hail from that tribe, the tribe that is called by God to go first into the conquest in the wake of Joshua's death. The second little detail was that He's motivated to rescue the people of Israel, yes, but there is another motivation. Othniel has heard that whoever captures Kiriath-Sefer will receive Caleb's daughter, Aksa, as a wife. Fighting to deliver Israel, Othniel is also fighting 
to procure a bride. The third detail we see is that he is victorious. He leads Israel into 40 years of rest, and then he dies. This is essentially what judges do in this book, by the way. It's the role they play in the people of Israel. They are first deliverers. And Othniel, the first deliverer, is already pointing in subtle ways to a final deliverer. You see, the first deliverer hails from the tribe of Judah. Oh, one day a final and great deliverer too, of whom Othniel is but a shadow. He will rise from the tribe of Judah. And not unlike Othniel, he will fight to deliver his people and bring to himself a bride, a people to love and be loved by. But even Othniel, the best judge in the book, he dies. Oh, we need a deliverer who can defeat that final enemy, death itself. So Othniel dies and the cycle repeats itself again. Let's pick up in verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, we see the rebellion of God's people and God raising up a people to overtake his own people. Verse 13, he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms, and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. So we've seen one judge, Othniel, a sort of model judge, the first judge, from the tribe of Judah, fighting for a bride, fighting to deliver the people of Israel. And now we meet Ehud. If Othniel is from central casting, Ehud is decidedly not. So the people sin, they find themselves conquered by a coalition of Ammonites, Amalekites, and Moabites. The city of Jericho, miraculously conquered by Joshua and the people, is now lost to this coalition the city of Jericho being the city of Palms, just referenced. The people of Israel serve Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years until they cry out for a deliverer. God does not send them an Othniel. God sends them someone quite different. He sends them Othniel's foil, someone who's nothing like him, Ehud. He comes not from the tribe of Judah, the tribe God called to go first and lead the coalition into the promised land in wake of Joshua's death, but he comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, just like we met Othniel in the first chapter, we also meet the tribe of Benjamin in the first chapter. But if we weren't looking for it, we probably didn't even notice. The tribe of Benjamin is not mentioned for driving people out in the conquest as God had called them to do, but the tribe of Benjamin is singled out for not driving people out. Specifically, they allowed the Jebusites to remain in Jerusalem. Perhaps an original hearer of this story might ask, can anything good come from the tribe of Benjamin? Oh, and the text points out that he is left-handed. Now, I am the son of two lefties, so I mean no offense to left-handers. But in the ancient world, you are left-handed only if you physically cannot use your right hand. 
There's a lot of speculation about what exactly has happened to Ehud. One popular story is that he is, uh, has some sort of deformity, uh, perhaps from birth, that he was born with um, a, a right hand that did not function properly. Maybe. I think there's actually more credible speculation that he's a Benjaminite warrior, that he's trained in left-handed combat, that his right hand has been intentionally injured so that he could use his left hand as a sort of surprise, which is exactly what he'll do in just a moment. But here's the point. No one expects a left-handed savior. No one expects a left-handed deliverer in the ancient world. Now, I apologize to my parents to Randy Johnson, Mark Twain, and Jimi Hendrix, all great lefties. But left-handed people don't save people because if you're normal in the ancient world, you're using your right hand. Ehud, the harmless lefty, is just gonna be doing a normal job that an Israelite would do under Moabite rule. He's not on a rescue mission, from the people's perspective. It's just another day serving the king, Eglon, whose name means calf in Hebrew. Salvation is probably not even on their radar, though they're certainly crying out for it, but this is going to turn into a Netflix movie, and let's enjoy it together. 15b, let's look in the text. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab, And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. Oh, he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade and the fat closed over the, this is the Bible, by the way, the fat closed over the blade for he did not pull the sword out of his belly and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Gets a little funnier, verse 24. When he had gone, the servants came and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, Surely he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still didn't open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key. They said, we got to figure this out. They opened him and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. (laughs) They think he's using the bathroom. Meanwhile, Ehud has hightailed it out of there. Upon arriving back to the people, he sounds the trumpet. He gathers Israelite warriors. They go into the battle, and there they kill 10,000 Moabite men and rest in the land for the next 80 years. Salvation comes from unexpected people. Ehud was looked over. 
He walks right into the presence of the king. They didn't even check him for a weapon because one, he appeared to be no threat. And two, his left hip is clear. The very place a warrior would come with a sword to fight the king. There's nothing there. Surely he means no harm. Surely he's capable of no harm. They have no reason to expect anything different will happen this day. It's just another day in Moab. Another tribute coming to the king. Another tribute that's probably some sort of food, which is ironic since Eglon, whose name means calf in Hebrew, is very large. The scriptures make a point of this. He's not just a little big, he's very large. Thinking like Jabba the Hutt big, right? And another tribute is coming from the Israelites to fatten up the Moabite king who has gotten rich and fat off the work of God's people. But God is answering the prayers of his people on this seemingly ordinary day in an unexpected way from an unexpected person. God is making a mockery of his enemies. When you read through the story and you kind of laugh, like it's supposed to be funny. You're supposed to laugh. It's not like, oh, I can't laugh at the Bible. No, the writer is writing this because he wants you to see that Ehud, a left-handed man, has been raised up. He dwells right into the presence of this great king. He has killed this king with his cunning, and he has escaped, and the people think he's using the bathroom. It's supposed to be funny. God is making a mockery of his enemies and bringing salvation to his people. There was nothing about Ehud that made anyone think he could deliver the people of Israel. He was a less than ordinary man doing an ordinary task on an ordinary day. Another deliverer would come in the midst of normal duties for an empire. How does Luke chapter 2 begin, right? In those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, that all the world should be taxed. So Joseph went from Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. On an ordinary silent night, fulfilling obligations to an occupying ruler, the great deliverer of Israel would be born with no fanfare, no expectation, and as harmless as a newborn baby. As he grew in wisdom and stature, he still was the sort of person you would not think is the deliverer of Israel. Isaiah 53 prophesies of Jesus. He had nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. But the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone of God's plan of salvation. I said I wanted to look at each of these judges and consider how they point us to Jesus and what lessons they might teach us about the life of faith. Oh, we've been clear that just like Ehud, Jesus is an unexpected deliverer. But there is a lesson for us in our life of faith as well. I don't make the same mistake Eglon did. <laughs> don't look at God's chosen deliverer and see nothing special about it. 
Don't make the same mistake the Pharisees and Sadducees make in the Gospels. Looking right at Jesus and thinking, there's no way this man is who he says he is. There is no way this man is the Messiah of God's people. Instead of being like Eglon, instead of being like the Pharisees, instead of being like the Sadducees, look to Jesus and believe. This is the one, as unlikely as it may seem, born in a manger, claiming divine authority, caring not about his status and clout, investing in the lives of 12 ordinary young men, dining with sinners, facing a mock trial and choosing not to defend himself and dying. This is the one on whom the spirit rests. This is the one who has brought salvation in his wings. This is the one who has finally and fully delivered the people of God from their greatest enemy. Ehud, even though he's Othniel's foil, he's nothing like him, points us to Jesus. But there's something here for us to learn about the types of people that God uses. There's something here for us to learn about the life of faith. Paul tells the church at Corinth that God uses the weak to shame the strong, the foolish to shame the wise. There's a sort of pattern we begin to detect that God uses people the world looks down on. God uses people the world does not respect. God uses people who have no earthly claim to being used by the heavenly king. So are you left-handed, so to speak? Are you kind of weak? Do you struggle to have it all together? Do you struggle with social interactions? Do you have a normal, boring job that no one else wants? Did you get average grades in school? Do you have like no real friends? Do you look really normal? All these very things that are ordinary are the very things God will use. The very things that seem to be wrong with you are the very things God will show his power and greatness the only question I have for you this morning is will you give him your left hand? Will you give him your left hand? Will you allow him to use you in ways that are greater than you could ever ask or imagine? Finally, and very briefly, let's meet our third judge. And this sermon might be a bit shorter than some of the others. Shamgar, the guy with the cow prod, verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. So we spend a little bit of time on Othniel. We spend a lot of time with this gripping narrative from Ehud. And now we meet Shamgar, whose judgeship is presented in the book of Judges by literally one sentence. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. I just want to note two little things from this very brief introduction of the whole life of this judge in 80 years of Israelite history. The first thing worth noting is pretty earthly and not super spiritual. I think Shamgar needs to work on his branding and marketing a little bit here. You know, anyone heard of Shamgar before this morning? I mean, some of our Bible readers have seen Shamgar, but if you're just sort of casually um, approaching your Bibles, you've probably not read Shamgar. I haven't read Shamgar since Old Testament 1, right? 
but he kills 600 people with a cow prod. I mean, we all know David, right? Kills Goliath with a slingshot and some stones. That's, I mean, I think I could probably do that. You can't run around with a cow prod and kill 600 people. Shamgar has done something quite impressive and miraculous. He's used the tool of a shepherd to drive out the enemies of God's people. But the second and more spiritual thing worth noting is just simply his name. Shamgar is not a Hebrew name. It's almost certain that Shamgar, deliverer of God's people, is not even a member of God's people. It's worth noting this because one day there will be a great deliverer who will come and he will be an Israelite, sure, but he will deliver non-Israelites. In Jesus, one of the things that the Apostle Paul is helping the church see, that the church, frankly, does, or the Jewish church does not want to see, is that the mystery of Jesus, the mystery of the gospel, is that Jews and Gentiles, he says, quote to the Ephesians, are fellow heirs, members of one body through the same spirit, who have access to Jesus and are children of the promise. That the promise for the Israelites belongs to the Gentiles. That they have access in one spirit to the same body that the Jews have. Shamgar is like a reverse Jesus. He he is a non-Israelite who is saving Israelites. Jesus, the final judge, will be raised up as an Israelite to go and save non-Israelites and Israelites alike, the whole world. Because in Jesus we learn what we kind of see in the Old Testament, but it's not really clear. It's not really fully fleshed out to most people. That God's deliverance has the nations in view. The Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body. Over and over again, we mentioned this last week, we'll see it in the future, that the people of Israel have lost the plot. They've lost the point. They've lost the point of conquest. The point of conquest was what? Not ethnic cleansing. The point of conquest was not slaughter. The point of conquest was driving out pagan gods so the worship of the one true God could be a model for all the nations who worship false gods to come and worship the true and living God. It has always been God's plan that through his people, he would bless the whole world. But somewhere along the way, people of God lost the big picture. At this point in Israel's history, Shamgar, from a pagan nation, will deliver Israel. But the great judge, the great deliverer from Israel, will deliver the pagan nations themselves. Oh, Othniel, our first judge, points us to Jesus, but he leaves us wanting. He plays his role well, sure. He's a right-handed warrior out of central casting. But he dies. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Ehud points us to Jesus. He's an unexpected deliverer. He's someone that the world looked right past. But he too leaves us wanting because Ehud is the first of many morally questionable judges. You're supposed to read Ehud and think, man, this guy, uh, is, there's a little bit of cunning here, a little bit of trickery here. He's kind of gained access through dishonest means. Ehud points to Jesus in a way, but he too leaves us wanting in another way. 
some morally questionable stuff about him. Jesus will not conquer with deception and trickery, but he will plainly speak the truth of the kingdom. Jesus won't thrust a sword into an earthly king's belly. In fact, he will have a spear thrust into his own side. He won't kill anyone, actually. He will be killed. His victory, unlike Ehud's, won't initially look like a victory at all. But his victory, unlike Ehud, and unlike the rest of the judges, will be complete and final. Unlike Shamgar, he he will not use a cow prod to kill his enemies, but he's going to pick up a different sort of uh, agricultural tool. He'll use a shepherd's staff to to bring back wayward sheep, to, to bring them into his fold. Oh, I pray you see the good news of Jesus all over this passage. These first three judges who are deliverers in the story of God's people are pointing to a final deliverer, a great deliverer, an ultimate deliverer. And I pray you you begin to see all of your life as part of this story. The story of God saving the world through an unlikely Savior and raising up unlikely people in unlikely ways to bring about His plans for His world. This sermon is shorter by design. I just want full force of impact to come on these questions. Will you believe in Jesus, the substance to the shadows of the judges? Will you believe on Jesus, the substance to the shadows of the judges, the one to whom Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar all point? And then having come to him by faith, will you remain in him by faith? Will you give God your left hand? Will you give God your ordinary lives? Will you give God your boring job? Will you give God your little bit of money or your whole lot of money? Will you allow God to use you in ways that you never imagined were possible? By simply giving Him your left hand. I hope you've seen that in subtle ways. These first three judges anticipate an even greater deliverer in Israel's future. An unexpected deliverer from a nowhere town who would rise from the tribe of Judah to save completely all, Jew or Gentile, who call to him in their sin and suffering. This morning when you cry out to God, just like the Israelites did under Moabite rule, just like the Israelites did under Amalekite rule, just under, just like the Israelites did in the death of their judge. When you call out to God in your sin, when you call out to God in your suffering, He does not hide. He doesn't wait until you get your whole life together to hear you and come to you. When you call out to God, He comes to you right now to save you and deliver you with a saving that is full and whole and complete, a deliverance that is final. Will you give God your left hand and will you believe on Jesus, the one to whom the judges point? Let's pray.
Father, your word is alive. You tell us that every single passage of this book is profitable for teaching and for building us up in the faith. Father, we know that you are here in your word, that you are making yourself known to us. I pray that we have encountered Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar in our text, but even more profoundly and even more deeply and even more intimately and sincerely, we have encountered you, the one to whom these judges only point, the one who would defeat the great enemy of death, who would judge perfectly, who would deliver with finality, who would hear the cries of all peoples in their sin and suffering and come running to our aid. May we trust you this morning, and may we give you our left hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.